So this conversation we were in a few weeks ago, and if you need to go back because you missed that one and you want to see the beginning of this story, uh, just three weeks ago we started this story of Jesus traveling and ending up in this unusual place talking to this unusual woman about this unusual subject. Uh, but today what I really want to talk about is how this conversation took a turn kind of right in the middle of it. If you recall right before the text there, uh, Jesus had just told the woman, I know that you're not married. You've had five husbands, and the person you're living with right now is not your husband. And right after that comes this conversation that we just read, and it has to do with mountains, and it has to do with worship. And it seems that it took this strange turn. But I'll tell you, this is a really important thing that we don't want to miss. And so we're going to spend some time on that today, this talk of mountains and what it is where she says, you know, Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem on that mountain. We say that we were supposed to be worshiping over here on this mountain. So I want you to understand a little bit about where this discussion came from. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked over this again. Jews and Samaritans kind of used to be uh, the same people in a lot of ways. They were God's people. And hundreds of years before this, there was this break. Uh, Israel was invaded, and they took off a bunch of people, and they took them to Babylon. And then a bunch of people stayed there. And the people that stayed there intermarried with some of the Babylonian folks and the Assyrian folks who came in there. And then so when they intermarried, they were seen as different. And so there was some racism that went in there. But there's also some, some religious issues that came up through that. And then the Jewish people who left and went and lived in exile for a long time, when they came back, there was this divide. And one of the things that was a divide was where is the proper place to worship? And so when she says that we've been worshiping on this mountain for a long time, it's believed that the mountain that she was talking about is Mount Gerizim. And this comes up, the, probably the reason why they felt that this was a holy mountain and why they worshiped on it comes up in Deuteronomy chapter 27. This is right before they entered the promised land. This is God's people had been delivered from uh, Egyptian slavery, traveled across the wilderness, and were finally about to enter the promised land. And before they crossed the Jordan, this is what God told them in Deuteronomy 27. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Be silent, Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I give you today. On the same day Moses commanded the people, When you've crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal and pronounce curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So what you have is God's people, they're moving into the promised land, and before, as they enter, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want half of the tribes on one mountain, and I want half the tribes on the other mountain. One mountain is going to present these blessings on the people as they come through. The other one is going to present the curses as they come through. And let me tell you just a little bit. If you want to follow in that, I would recommend put uh, Deuteronomy 27 there in your notes. Uh, and go back and look at that. But here's some of the things that happened, like the curses that they mentioned was to say, if you build an altar, or if you lead the blind astray, if you withhold justice from the foreigner, or the fatherless, or the widow, then God says, I'm going to punish you for this, I'm going to withdraw myself. So that was coming from one mountain. From the other mountain, Gerizim, were the people that stood up there and they pronounced these blessings upon them. If you obey, the fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. And those were the blessings that were pronounced from Mount Gerizim 
that the Samaritans set up is to go, this is the holy place of worship. And a lot of the reason that that may have come about is to go, because that's the mountain where God sent his blessings down. It's special. And because it's special, that's the place where we're going to worship. So you had the Samaritans who had built their worship place on Mount Gerizim, and then you have the Jews who kept their worship place in Jerusalem. And in this conversation with a Jewish rabbi, Jesus, and a woman of Samaria, there at the well, they get into this conversation where it takes this turn as to which mountain's right. And it's more than that, too, because when she mentions that, you got to understand for her, this this animosity that goes between them is Jesus saying, uh, she feels probably in some way that he's condemning her when he says, you've had five husbands and the person you live with is not your husband now. And she goes, yeah, and you say, i got to worship over here on this mountain, but you won't let me go. I'm not allowed to go to the temple in there and worship because I'm not purified and I'm not clean. So in a lot of ways, it could feel like to her that Jesus is going, see, you've messed up and there's no way for you to be redeemed because you can't come to the proper place and do the proper thing to make sure that you can worship in the proper way. Now, you need to know that it kind of goes the other way too. The Samaritans had some a, a little bit of pride, too, in one of the things that they did. They really felt like they were the guardians of the original text, and we held to it. So if you're Samaritan, you looked at the Jews, and you said, you need to know, while y'all were off doing this, and you wrote these other books, and you had these prophets in Scripture and stuff, we held on to the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we guarded those, and we stick to those. So really, we're the protectors of the truth. And so it becomes this weird sort of Thing between the Samaritans and the Jews over these years where it's you have your mountain and we have our mountain. You think you're right, we think we're right. And it really becomes this discussion about who has the religious and the moral high ground. Who owns ultimate truth? Who is the one that can stand up and say, we're God's real people and you are not? And it leads to this division for hundreds of years. I, I thought about this at one point. Going, you know, I have two daughters that are grown. And if they offered on my birthday or Father's Day or something to go, we're going to come into town and we just want to make this day all about you. And we want to bring our gifts to you and we want to show you our appreciation for what a wonderful father you are. And how you've done everything right. <laughs> and how much we love you. And so I sat down and they brought a gift to me. And I opened this gift from one daughter and I opened this gift from the other daughter. And then immediately they began to fight with one another about how our dad doesn't really like your gift. He likes my gift. My gift's good, your gift's bad. And it's not just that mine's better. Yours is absolutely unacceptable in every way. He doesn't want it. Your father doesn't love you the way that he loves me. Do you see what starts coming up from this? What begins to happen in this is to the point where you'd have children that are fighting over whose gift is better on a day when they're supposed to be celebrating their father to the point where they break relationship and won't have anything to do with each other. Let me tell you, as a dad, I'm not happy about that. I'm heartbroken over that. I'm not going to look and go, well, this was a great day for me and thank you so much. I'm going to be devastated. Absolutely devastated that this is the argument that comes up. And that's really where this kind of leads to. Is it leads to this discussion of who does God really love? 
Which ones of us are welcome at God's table? Who has held on to the scriptures correctly? Who's right? Even to the way that she says, you know, we have this debate between our two people, but the Messiah will someday come, and when he comes, he's going to tell us the answer. And it almost sounds like she's implying in some way that he's going to straighten all this out. When the Messiah comes, he'll straighten all this out, and we'll find out who's right, and we'll find out who's doomed. And he'll pick a side, because one of us is right and one of us is wrong. You want to know why? Because we've planted our stake on these two different mountains. And this is where we've put our faith. And this is where we've put our security. And so the Messiah will come and he'll tell us who's right. And one of us is in big trouble. The interesting thing about this is the way that Jesus responds to this. He does say, I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. I'm the one who's going to sort all of this out. That's me. But then he changes the conversation completely. And he says, I'm not going to pick a mountain. You need to know, I'm not here to pick a mountain. I'm here to change the conversation. You want to talk about worship, and you guys want to talk about which one of your mountains is right, and I'm here to tell you, I'm not looking at mountains. The conversation is now going to be about spirit. It's going to be about truth. I'm going to use a different lens, a different measuring stick than you are, and make no mistake, while they're going, this mountain's right and this mountain's right, Jesus comes in and says, there is a right and wrong in worship. But you need to know it's not mountain. It's spirit and it's truth. It's what we've been talking about this whole time. It's what began in, the, in the, the beginning of the book of John. It's one of the things I love about John and I love about this gospel is the way that he comes and he says, every time you think physical, Jesus turns it into a spiritual question. He's going to turn it into something about the heart. That's a conversation he just had with Nicodemus just a couple of chapters before. Where he's going, yeah, you're doing everything right. Here's the deal. You've got to be reborn. There's a spiritual aspect to this. And so what Jesus does is he comes and he says, I've got a new measuring stick. Don't put your faith in your mountain. I don't care how much time you've spent on there. I don't care what you've done on there. I know your mountain seems immovable and it seems permanent. It's not. It is not permanent. It, it kind of reminds me, you ever heard that phrase where you don't have a leg to stand on if you're going to try and defend yourself? This is kind of a, you don't have a mountain to stand on. Jesus is going, listen, neither one of you have a mountain to stand on. There's nothing that you can do with this that will be able to justify yourself in any way the way you look at this. So there's this new measuring stick. Now, here's the thing. When he starts talking about this and going, here's the way that I'm going to look at worship. And don't forget, he invites them in. We're going to have worshipers now that God is looking for. God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Well, you got to understand what that is. And we need to know what that is. And you need to know what's, what is it not. One of the things that we need to understand is that things of spirit and truth are by necessity. They're eternal. These are eternal things. These aren't temporary things. These are the things that would be eternal. So the opposite of that would be things that are physical and things of the flesh. Things that can decay and things that can rot and things that can die and things that can go away. Those are not things of spirit and truth. Those are things that have an expiration on them. And the things that Jesus is talking about of spirit and truth do not have an expiration on them. Spirit is beyond the physical, and it's beyond the flesh. So with that, it's beyond your actions, because your actions change. And it's beyond your reactions when you see something and the way that you respond to that. It's beyond what you feel. It's beyond your emotions. It's beyond your comfort. 
It's beyond your anger and your frustration, and it's beyond your happiness because all of those things are temporary. It's about more than the where and the when and the how because that's what the mountains were built on. As they defended their mountain, they go, this is the right where. We do it at the right when, and we do it in the right way. Problem is you have somebody else who's just as devoted to God on the other side going, all of that's wrong. It's a different where, when, and how. And what we're doing is right. And Jesus is coming and pulling the rug out from under both those mountains. And he's changing that. So this is going to be about spiritual, and it's going to be beyond physical, and it's going to be beyond the flesh. You start talking about spirit and truth. Well, what is truth? Well, there's a lot of things that are true, but that doesn't make them truth. We're talking about something bigger than that. Like, here's some things that are true. Right now, I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to eat. That's true. Okay? I can tell you that that's true. I'm a little bit warm because I'm getting worked up talking about this. That's true. I'll tell you something else that's true. I'm a little nervous talking to you about this. Because when we start talking about worship, it can be an emotional thing. So I'm a little nervous about talking to you about this. But here's the deal. None of those things are eternal. They're true, but they don't last. I won't always be hungry. I can go eat something, and that'll change. We can turn the AC up a little bit, and then I'll get cooler. You don't have to turn the AC up, by the way. I won't be nervous after this is over. I'll preach other things where I'm not nervous, and I'll preach things where I'm confident. Maybe there will be another time where I'm nervous again. Those are not eternal things. They're all true, but they don't last. And I can't build anything on those. I can't make my life around things that are going to go away. They're not ultimate truth. What Jesus is saying is there's a bigger truth than all of that. These are higher truths. These are the truths that Jesus says, I'm going to give to you, and they won't change. It won't have anything to do with the atmosphere and the circumstances and what you've put in your belly and how you feel right now. Those things change. What I'm about to give you and what I am bequeathing to you as my people is something that will not change. It can't be killed. It can't be destroyed. And it's not dependent on my action or my feelings or what mountain I stand on. Those have nothing to do with what is ultimately true in Christ. These greater and these higher truths that happen, they happen outside of me. And they happen outside of you. And they are outside our circumstances. And they are outside of the way I feel about them. Now they absolutely affect me. These ultimate truths affect me and everything about me. But I don't affect them. I don't change these things that are absolutely true that Christ is going to give us. They're about who he is, and they're about who we are in his mind. That's what these greater truths are about. And if you look at the way that Jesus behaved as he went throughout his work, you can tell time and time again, he would talk to people and go, you're missing the point. There's something bigger than this. You're missing the point. There's something bigger than this. There's a greater truth. You hear the story that Jesus told. There's a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector going to the temple, and they're praying together. And one of them says, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. And the other one goes, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And he goes, one of those is right and one of them's not. But it has nothing to do with their actions. It has to do with spirit and truth. One of them understood the truth, what was real. 
And the other one didn't. And it doesn't matter how he prayed, and it doesn't matter how he prayed. What matters is the heart in this and who I am. And so they got caught up in this all the time. There was a woman who came to worship Jesus, and she poured the oil all over him. And the people went, well, you're doing that wrong. You know, you could have given that to the poor, and that's what you should have done. And he goes, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. She wants to worship me because I'm here. She wants to give everything that she has to me. And you need to know her heart is right. Even if this is not an approved act of worship, what she did was she came, and in her heart I can see not only did she do right, but people are going to talk about her forever, and we still are. That what she did was right because it was spirit and it was truth. It was, I need this Savior. He's the one who saved me. There's where my security is. True, true, true. She recognized those things. Do you know how many times Jesus is accused of wrong worship? Time after time after time. People come up to him and go, you and your disciples, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. The way that you're eating the wheat over here on the Sabbath, you're doing that wrong. The way that your disciples are washing their hands to get cleansed, you're doing it wrong. It's not right. The way that you're keeping the Sabbath is wrong. The way that you're healing people is wrong. The way that you're talking about this is wrong. And the way that you're coming into the temple and you're turning the table, it's wrong. Constantly, Jesus told, your worship is not right. It's incorrect. And every time Jesus goes, you're missing the point. You're talking about things of the flesh. And I'm trying to tell you about things of the spirit and things that are always true. You're missing the point. I want to tell you, there's a bunch of these stories I would love to tell you more about, um, but we just don't have time for it. So I put a bunch of them on a piece of paper. They're back here at the back. If you want to study further on this in the way that God accept, accepts worship throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, grab those on the way out and you can uh, study those through this weekend. And, and I want you to know too, it's not just Jesus in the New Testament. There's Old Testament issues with this too. There's the story of David when he came and he ate the, the bread of the presence. He's not supposed to do that. He and his men were starving and they come into the temple and there's this bread that's been set aside and it's sanctified for God. You don't eat it. And David came in and go, my men are starving and I need something. And the priest gave it to him and the Lord was okay with it. It was wrong. Now, if you build your mountain on where, whether or not you eat this bread, then you need to know Dave's in big trouble. But the Lord went, that's okay. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. And Jesus ends up talking about that later. And then there's the exiles in, in uh, exiled Jews who come back from being in slavery in, or, or being in exile in Babylon. And when they come back, they open the temple back up and they want to do Passover and they want to celebrate it. But nobody's sanctified the way that they're supposed to. And the animals aren't sanctified the way that they're supposed to. And King Hezekiah goes, we're going to do it anyway. We didn't follow the rules. We didn't follow the sanctification, and we're going to do it anyway. And then he went before the Lord, and he prayed, and he said, Lord, please forgive us that we haven't been able to sanctify ourselves according to these rules, but we want to celebrate Passover, and the Lord was pleased. Now, if your mountain's built on making sure you do it right, they're in big trouble. But even then, the Lord went, you're missing the point. This is about the heart. This is about the spirit. This is about what's ultimately true. And what you do and what I do is not ultimately true. There is more to it than that. Paul does a great job with this. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in Philippians, you know, Paul reads out his resume to people, and he goes, listen, if this is about what you do, I've built the perfect mountain. The way I was raised, 
the way I was circumcised on the eighth day, the way that I was taught, the way that I followed the law. If anybody's built a good mountain to stand on and go, here I am on solid ground, it's Paul. He reads you his resume, and then in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, this is what he says. But whatever gains to me, that's his mountain that he's talking about, what he's done. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, and to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's Paul going, I built a mountain, and you want to know what? It's not worth anything. It's garbage. I did it all right. And if you want to stand on ground and doing it right, I'm the guy who did it right. And it's garbage. You want to know why? Because that's not truth, and that's not spirit. What is, is I want to know Christ. I want to participate with him. I want to rely on him. I want to belong to him. These are things of the spirit. This is things of the heart. These are things you cannot point at and go, look at what I did. Instead, it has to do with pointing at Christ and looking at what he did. You got Paul going, I have a righteousness in Christ despite my actions. Not because of them. They exceed anything I could ever do. Christ has done for me. What Christ has done will exceed anything I could ever do. And yet he says, all the things I've done are worth nothing in comparison to just knowing Christ. In my spirit, that's that flesh versus spirit. He's making this difference and he's going, there are two different things here and they're not equal. He doesn't equate what he's done in the flesh as knowing God because it's not. That's the thing is he goes, listen, I built this through all of my actions. That doesn't have me knowing God. I'd rather know God. Because here's the deal, all mountains will perish. They will fall away into the sea. They are not permanent. That's why if you keep trying, if we keep trying to build our relationship with Christ on things of what we've done and on things of the flesh, we end up with this thirst that is never quenched in any way. That's where verse 14 in John comes in, uh, where Jesus had said, but whoever drinks of the water that I'm going to give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's Jesus saying, I'm splitting the difference and I'm making sure you know there is flesh and there is spirit. And I've come to give you water of the spirit. And it's the water to make sure you're never thirsty again. If you want to try and build your mountain and go, I've done it right with the when and the where and the how, you will always be thirsty. You will never quench that. It will never satisfy you. It's never going to be enough. You will never get at a place where your thirst has been quenched. Okay, so how do we do this? Because that's the call. How do we worship it in spirit and truth? Because when you have Jesus say what God wants, the Father wants, is people who worship in spirit and truth, that's the sort of worshipers he's looking for. Well, then I want to do that. If that's the sort of worshipers that are true worshipers, that are worshipers God's looking for, then that's what I want to be. And so here's some of the hard part about that for us. One is we need to realize that we do long for an experience with God. In our worship what we want is to see the face of God we want to feel his presence we want to know that we're right there with him we want to know that he's right there with us we have this desire 
for assurance that we are loved beyond our actions, that we are accepted beyond the things that we've done wrong. We have this desire and worship to meet Christ and to meet the Heavenly Father. And you need to know Jesus says, if that's your desire, you're not going to find me on a mountain, either one. I'm not there. I'm not in the place where you sit and go, do it this way, and this is right, and this is good, and I can look over there and go that that's wrong, and they're over there doing the same thing, and that's not right. You need to know, I'm not there. You're not going to find me on a mountain that is built on you doing things right. I am not there. I'm in a different place. I'm in this place of spirit and truth. The interesting thing about this, if you look at Jesus, is when they come in, he didn't pick a mountain, and he won't pick a mountain. He's not going to tell somebody you're right. He didn't come to go, hey, Jews, you were right. Samaritans, you were wrong. Hey, Samaritans, you were right. And the Jews, that they were wrong. And he didn't come and go, you're both right or you're both wrong. He didn't come to do any of that. He took it out of the equation. Your actions and the things that you do are outside of the equation on whether or not you are worshiping your heavenly father and in spirit and in truth. So to do that first, we got to have some humility. Man, we got to be humble. That is the biggest part of this. You know, the word worship really comes from a root word that means to bow. It means to bow down. And it's, I think it's fascinating that you find Jesus in the midst of some people, the one that you can bow down to ultimately, and then there's a discussion about which mountain's right. Nobody's bowing if everybody's trying to discuss whose mountain is right. You cannot bow while you defend where you stand. You can't. You got to get up off the ground and you got to stand there and you got to point at the stuff that you've done. And then you're not bowing anymore. To bow is to realize that I'm coming before God, that He is everything and I'm not, that He's the Redeemer and I'm not, that He is worthy of all praise, that I'm not, that I want to give Him what He wants. And this has nothing to do with what I want. Or feel comfortable with. I remember hearing an old preacher one time say, you know what the biggest difference between you and God is? He doesn't think he's you. <laughs> right? He never gets confused into thinking he's you. That's the biggest difference. They go, ouch. You know, that's what, if you can't say amen, you can at least say ouch to that because that steps on my toes. And I think that's a big part of our worship is to make sure that we understand this is all about him and this is not about us. It's about a posture more than it is a position. The posture is bowing down. It's humility. It's realizing that this is not about me. It's realizing the neediness I have for God and that he doesn't have neediness for me. This humility is what was so important when Jesus is having this conversation with the Samaritan woman. And you know, at some point, his disciples came back, and you need to know it's going to take humility for both of them because the disciples are not going to get this, and she's not going to get this. Both of them are going to have to bow down because he's going, your mountain, not it, and your mountain's not it. Both of you are going to have to bow. You get to bow before the God who is the creator. They all have to deal with the fact that they have probably missed the point in their worship. And they're going to have to deal with that, and that's hard. That's hard for them, and it's hard for me, and it's hard for you. Maybe I've missed the point in some of this. Maybe my heart's not where it needs to be all the time in this. you got this new lens that Jesus gives us that says it's not about me, and that's really hard because I've built a lot of time setting up my mountain. And let me tell you something else, too. 
I don't know where your background is. Um, I grew up, uh, I feel like, um, being taught for a while that, that it is about making sure that we get this right. And not only that, but even the idea that we did. We've nailed it. There's five acts of worship, and this is the way you do it. And if you do it this way, you can rely on it. And what that is is really a reliance on myself, and that has very little to do with bowing. There's these five acts of worship, and I don't know if you've, if you've heard this before, but we came up with almost kind of a flow chart, and there's five acts of worship. And you do these, and, and there was even a point where I remember, and you don't mix them. Like, you can't do two at one time. That would be wrong to do that. And it all has to do with making sure that we have the form and the pattern right. And that is standing on the mountain going, look at what I've done. And that's hard. But it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine Ashley coming down after being baptized and standing up and going, hey, look, wasn't that awesome? I did it exactly right. I said the words that I was supposed to say. I answered the question exactly right. I was baptized into the water exactly right, and I came up exactly right. What a mistake that would be. Because what it would do is it would negate the power of the gospel and what Jesus just did in her life. I'm so thankful Ashley's not like that. DR's not like that. Those are not eternal truths. What DR and Ashley, DR's part, Ashley's part are not eternal. What God did is eternal. Someone was redeemed. They're brought back. They're made alive forever. Eternity's changed. Sin has been forgiven. Clothed in Christ. That's spirit and that's truth. And we don't affect that. God does that for us and in us. And that's what's eternal about it. So there's some things that I have to ask myself when it comes to humility and spirit and truth and in my worship. One is I have to ask myself, am I, am I in complete surrender of my flesh to the leading of the spirit? And that's not easy. It is not easy to turn away and go surrender all of my flesh in real worship to the leading of the spirit. Now you have to, if you're going to bow, if you're going to bow, if you're going to empty yourself before Christ and worship him in spirit and truth, you have to surrender your flesh being a true worshiper makes us realize we have no mountain to stand on. The biggest difference between me and God is I realize he never confused into thinking he's me. Second, let me tell you something else. I need to recognize my fleshly side, and I need to recognize when it comes up, and then I need to rebuke it and set it aside. Can I tell you what that kind of feels like sometimes? As you get into worship... And something comes up and you go, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with that. Maybe blood pressure starts to rise a little bit. You get fearful. Maybe you get angry. Maybe you get scared. We look at that and we go, this must be wrong if I feel these ways. And you need to know emotion, that's not spirit and that's not truth. Fear is not the spirit of God. Anger is not the spirit of God. Frustration is not the spirit of God. That's not where he works in us. You need to know you're going to have emotions. You're going to get uncomfortable in times. That's okay. But if we confuse it into thinking that's ultimate truth, then we've made a mistake. And boy, can we make an idol out of our comfort. We crave it. We look for it. We say things are wrong when I'm not comfortable. 
Let me tell you, I, I have a, a dear friend back in Austin that I went and visited with one time, and I remember talking to her about worship. And I remember her at one point saying, I don't think God would want me to do anything that makes me uncomfortable. And I remember thinking to myself and saying, really? Our God? Who came in the flesh and entered a world that's broken? And who said, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow me to death. That the last will be first, and the first will be last, and the greatest in the kingdom ties a towel around his waist and becomes a servant and washes the feet of all others. You don't think that God ever wants you to be uncomfortable? I think we may have mistaken some things in the way that we look at that, and realizing that it's not just about my comfort. You know who wasn't comfortable with what Jesus said when he said spirit and truth? Nobody was comfortable. All the Samaritans were uncomfortable with that, and all of the Jews were uncomfortable with that. Because what he did is he pulled their mountain out from under both of them. Nobody was comfortable. And that's okay. Because what they did was they moved on where they stood on a mountain that was shaky ground, and they moved on to firm ground of the spirit and truth and what Christ has done. It's okay. It's all right. I have it. I struggle with it. Let me tell you, let me tell you, my struggles... I remember going to a new church one time, and I got in there, and it wasn't the way that I was used to doing things. And I remember I'm looking there, and we're singing, and there were some people raising their hands. They were raising their hands while they're singing. I was very uncomfortable with that. Never seen that before. Wasn't raised in a place where he did that. And I remember what happened to me in that is I got to the spot where I'm going, why are they doing that? Why do they feel the need to do that? Why do you feel the need to... Do that in front of everybody else. Why are you doing And I found myself going through this with them and the other people that were doing this. While songs of praise were being sung to the Lord, I am trying to judge the hearts of people in the room. And finally found myself going, you know, here's a truth. There's only one person I know is not worshiping in here. And it's me. I'm not. I didn't have my focus on Christ. I didn't have my focus on what is eternal. I didn't have my focus on how great he is, how needy I am, how much I desperately need him to save me. I had my focus on going, I'm standing on my mountain and I'm looking at yours and going, you're doing it wrong. Man. And the bad thing is what I missed out on was actual worship of the Heavenly Father. I missed it. I was too busy standing on my mountain talking about how great it is and how wonderful it is. You know, it's funny, the mountain talk that they're in at that time, where you have, uh, you have uh, uh, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman and, uh, and the, the disciples who came back in, that talk about Jews and Samaritans with the mountain, you need to know that that is, you, you probably look at that and go, well, that's silly. That's a silly argument that they were having with each other. You want to know why that that feels silly? Is because it doesn't touch our flesh and our emotions. We have other things that touch ours. We can look at them and go, well, that's silly to have a problem with that. Now, the things I have concerns about, that's real. And that matters. And really what we ultimately see is that these things are not about spirit and truth. These are not eternal things. These are not things about Christ. And that's what Jesus was doing. I've come to change the way you look at everything. And there will be freedom in this. Jesus' greatest desire, 
I believe, is for us to lay those things down and accept his grace, and it's hard. Accepting grace is a hard thing. Because it doesn't have a dividing line. It doesn't have a space where we can look at it and go, this is true and this is not. And I know I've done it. I know I can rely on what I've done. And it doesn't let me point to a mountain. It makes me look at it and go, I can't point to this mountain. I have to rely on you. I have to accept your grace. And I have to realize that if I give my spirit to you and I understand the ultimate truth of what you've done for me, that's the worship that you ultimately desire. And it's throughout our whole life. Guys, this isn't just what we do in here. This is the way you live. This is your worship in your life. This is the way you do everything. None of us have a mountain that we can point to. There's not one. I'm so thankful because they will all fail. All of that will someday perish and will go away. What's true is what Christ has done in us. And that's why we worship. And that's what we focus on. If you would stand with me, we're going to read a scripture together. And then we're going to spend some time in worship. My hope is that as we do this, we will keep focused on things that are eternal, on what Christ has done, on what he says about you, that you are a new creation if you belong to him, that you no longer have to worry about sin and death and guilt, that you can't point to the things that you have done or not done and look at them as a reason why you are not okay with God. God has determined that you're good with him when you belong to him. So we're going to read these scriptures together. We're going to do some uh, praying. You can pray at your location. If you need to pray... Uh, maybe for forgiveness, maybe for repentance, maybe to come before God and to go, man, I've missed the point of this. Lord, forgive me. Help me see you clearly. I want to meet you where you are in spirit and in truth. You can do that. There will be elders and ministers around. You can pray with each other. You can pray right there. Uh, but we want to spend some time in this worship uh, of things of spirit and truth. So read this with me, and then we will sing. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unfailed faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's worship.